Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Comics and Culture Radar, a podcast that's on the lookout for what's good to read and watch. If you don't know who Milton is, let's ask Kiefer Sutherland's father what he thinks. Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. This episode, Milton's guests are Kevin Cuff and Bob France, the comic book writing duo behind the Metal Shark Bros series. They also host the Word Bros podcast. Kevin and Bob's latest comic creation is the Metal Shark Bros spin-off, Ninja Nuns! Bad Habits Die Hard! Now on Kickstarter. Put your devil horns in the air and welcome the Metal Shark Bros to the show! Bob and Kevin, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Milton. Uh, welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting. Thank you, Milton. Thank you, thank you. So um, let's let's just jump right into to, to the most timely topic. Tell us about Ninja Nuns and the Kickstarter campaign you guys have going for it. Kevin, you want to tell them? Kevin, you tell them. Okay. So for those of you not familiar with the Ninja Nuns, what the Ninja Nuns are is an offshoot uh, of Metal Shark Bro that we used in the first book as the arm of justice swift justice from the catholic church um when when they have no other recourse they call in the ninja nuns so um one of the questions we consistently got asked at pods and uh, and in other signing situations and stuff is hey like wh- like what's the deal with the ninja nuns what's happening with the ninja nuns so um bob and i decided that we were gonna do some stories about the ninja nuns it kind of came about during the pandemic as well. We had we had some ideas that we were working on. We had some pitches we were working on, and then everybody kind of went pencils down because of the the global pandemic that we're still unfortunately living in. Um, so Kevin and I wanted to have some stuff, you know, kind of that we we could work on to take our minds off of that, to keep the creative momentum flowing, to keep the ideas going. So we kind of put our heads together and came up with this idea. So that's that's another reason why it's kind of, uh, I guess, a project of circumstances at this point. That's cool. That's cool. And one question I had for you guys, the campaign mentioned something um I think you guys are including some bonus content of some kind where you're expanding the circle of the creative team. Could you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, we um, Kevin and I wanted to do this book, and we wanted to get some more people involved, like an anthology. So we talked to Chaz Pangburn, who is the editor of Metal Shark Bros. Volume 1 and 2. And he knows the universe just as well as we do. And Chaz is a very talented writer. He's got a book on Webtoons right now called "You R.I.P. You and Me. And Chaz is super talented. So we're like, hey, man, you want to write a story too? And he said, of course he does. So we let Chaz write a story. It's it's a four-story anthology piece. Kevin wrote one. I wrote one. Kevin and I wrote one together. And then Chaz wrote his own. So we just kind of had our own ideas and went with it. And then we contacted some artists that we really wanted to work with and do some stuff with and friends. Um who were also kind of pencils up at the time and they were looking for, you know, some extra cash. So this thing came together really quickly. So we're really excited about it. That's fantastic. So I, I'm very curious about you guys' process and relationship. Process? As, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a writing Process, dude. he says. Kevin, did you hear that process? I did. He's, he's, he's getting technical. We don't use these technical words in, in word bros land, Milton. We just kind of so, fly by the seat of our pants and hope it works out at the end. That's right, baby. We riding on the end of a lightning bolt through the stratosphere, making all kinds of the funny books, Jack. We ain't got no processes. It's just strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Well, that energy definitely comes through with the material. I, 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 I have a hard time even imagining that this book is even written. It just pops off the page in such an organic and seat of your pants way. I can't imagine you guys ever struggling with anything. But l- just for the sake of argument, let's pretend that that ever happens. Um, do you guys have uh, – differing strengths and weaknesses or is one of you better at dialogue or captions or character or story structure uh we definitely have different strengths and weaknesses but it's it's weird because um we we also have some of the same strengths so um we're both very conversational so when it comes to dialogue we both imagine having that conversation with someone else so the dialogue from either of us uh usually we match the tone of the other's dialogue as to what is going on in the story. Um, Cause there's times when we'll basically uh, we'll drop something in the other one's uh, Gmail um, when like, let's say I'm five pages in and then I'm like, Hey, here's a hot tag. Cause I got something else I got to do. And I pass it off to Bob per se. So Bob will go in and he'll look and see what I was doing. And, to the best of his ability, emulate that in the character voices, or we have already talked on the phone um, about what we think this particular thing is, um, be it Metal Shark Bro or one of the other things that we've been doing, um, because we both have an idea of where we want it to go, and we always have like similar ideas about the story structure or where the story should go, and when we don't, um, we hash it out till. It, it works or it's a good compromise. Well said. Well said. <laughs> Kevin, cool. wants, Kevin wants to be serious. Kevin wants to be, I always make fun of him because Kevin, be Kevin wants to be a serious writer like Neil Gaiman or like Warren Ellis or somebody. That's what Kevin really wants. I don't want to be Warren Ellis anymore. Well, you don't want to be like the, the sleazy aspect of no, Wales, no. but you want to be like you want to be a serious writer. And then I'm, you know, I, you know, I have ideas for serious things too. But we just kind of have fun, man. Like any project that we're working on, whether it's 
you know, ninja nuns or dust pirates or whatever the case may be, any of the books that we just want to make sure that we're enjoying the process, you know, um, that's kind of what it boils down to for, for Kevin and I, as long as we enjoy each other and we jo- enjoy the process, then we're just going to keep doing it. And to add to what Bob said, one of the coolest things about our writing relationship is neither one of us ever outright says no. I think that's why you get things like Metal Shark Bro. Um, if I say, hey, Bob, I've, I've got this idea about um, a crocodile alligator wrestler going into outer space. He'd be like, well, that sounds cool. What could we do with that? And and it just goes from there. Um, versus like if he, if he does the same sort of thing, I go, that'd be cool if we do this. And he'd be like, yeah, that would be cool. And that's it's always from there that we that we build upon some idea and make it something else. It's Uh, kind of like playing table tennis with one another, you know, like you have the initial idea, you hit it over to Kevin and Kevin kind of puts his idea on it, his spin and hits it back. And so you're just kind of cultivating your original idea and just adding layers to it. Kevin comes from a rock and roll background. He used to be in a band uh, and a very well-to-do band. He was signed by um, what Ozzy Osbourne's wife, Sharon Osbourne. He was on her record label and like he toured with who did, who was the biggest band you toured with Kevin? Oh God! Um, what was the uh, Disturbed? Would probably be the you were, really those guys are jerks. So yeah, they are. Um, they're awful. They're awful. Yeah, but so Kevin was so Kevin understands the idea of working in a group. I did a radio show um, with three or four other people, and no idea was ever shot down. It's just a matter of kind of cultivating it and and, and tweaking it and making it more accessible. So I understand how to work in a group, and I think that's a really big part of it. It's never just, no, this is my idea. I'm sticking to my guns on this. This is what I want to happen. If that's your mindset, then you need to work alone. And I would even advise you to start drawing as well because (laughs) it's going to be hard to find an artist that fits your vision and your ideas. So it's a give and take kind of thing, and Kevin and I start that at at the scripting process, you know? And, and we also, like I said, neither of us ever says no to, no matter how dumb. We've said, idea. I mean, there's been like, a, eh, I wouldn't say a straight up no, but it's there's been a lot of like. Dead end yeah, ideas. Yeah, dead yeah, end, yeah. Dead we've end some, we've we'll, definitely had a few clunkers. We'll hit the know? ball back and forth a few times and then go, yeah, no, I'm not feeling it. And then yeah, and just, eh. it, it kind of dies out and then another idea takes its place. But, yeah. but, but there's never usually an outright no from either of us, oh, which is how no. things like Metal Shark Bro get started. <laughs> so in, in the spirit of uh, teamwork versus solitude, I wanted to put both of you through a hypo- uh, hypothetical exercise here. Uh, let me let me ask Bob. I don't, the deal, question. I don't deal in hypotheticals, Nathan. That's ridiculous. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not seating you on the Supreme Court here, sir. This all is right, just okay. Kind of... All right, all right, Milton. Fair enough. No, if it was a Twinkie, Bob, it'd be a Twinkie the size of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, I'm going That's to. Yes, Twinkie. I'm gonna I'm, gonna I'm gonna assign you the role of being an editor on Kevin's next book, mm-hmm. uh, and, and in fact, his next two books, and he's gonna write those in solitude this is going to be one that you don't co-write you did mention he's got a, a, a neil gaiman gear and a alan moore gear and a uh, warren ellis uh on the page gear um if you could assign him a creator-owned book and a big two book what would you get him to write 
Oh, I already know. Kevin, I know what Kevin's dreams are. We've talked about all this stuff. There's no secrets between us. If I could let Kevin write a big two book, uh, the DC book would be Booster Golden Beetle because that's he loves Booster Golden Beetle. And if he could write a Marvel book, it would be uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Yeah. Nice. Those oh, that would be great. Because that's what he loves, you know. And and as for, you know, Kevin writing in solitude, there are times where I do kind of act as an editor for his stuff and he with mine. Um, I will come in, like Kevin will write 10 pages of something, you know, be it Chase the Moon or Dust Pirates or whatever. And then I'll come in as an editor and kind of go, this works, this doesn't work. What if we did this? How about we go this way with it? So there is some sort of like editing to it as well, if that makes sense, you know? So yeah. we, we just have a very kind of uh, give and take relationship. It's not, you know, no one rules with an iron fist, but it is very much like a, we have our own kind of process that, that works for us. Could it work for everybody else? I don't know, but it works pretty well for us. So yeah, that's cool. Kevin, let me, uh, let me flip the script here and get you to answer the same question. You are the editor now and you're going to give Bob a, a big two book and a creator owned book. Um, the, the two, the two big two books I know Bob would want to do would be, he would do at Marvel fantastic four. Uh, I, I think he would, he would crush it even though he would say he, he couldn't do it. Because I'll, I'll tell you, Bob will, will definitely say, oh, I, I don't know, I can do that. He would crush it. He's got a lot of Fantastic Four knowledge. Or, or Spider-Man. He would do a great Spider-Man. Bob would do a great Spider-Man book. Um, so it would be one of those two for Marvel. And for DC, it would definitely be Lobo. Because I know he loves him some <laughs> Bob, Bobby loves him some Lobo. And he also uh, would do, I would say Ambo, Ambush Bug. But I'm not, I'm not sure Bobby's well-versed on who Ambush Bug is. Because he's not. I know a little bit about Ambush Bug, but I, I would kill a Lobo book for sure. Yeah, I know that for a fact. So these, yeah. these are things we've talked about. Uh, and a creator-owned book, I would say I would like to see – now this has to be a creator-owned book that he that he's, that is already out, Milton, is the question? Or, or no, you could just give us the broad outlines of like what genre or style. Um, it would be a pulpy – a pulpy like action type of book uh, in in the in the style of like a like an Indiana Jones in Hollow Earth or something. Bobby would just kill it because that's that's the stuff like a like a Flash Gordon creator owned. He would crush that. I okay, love Flash Gordon. See, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So I want to go back to the genesis of the Ninja Nuns and when they first presented t- uh, themselves to you as an idea. Um, when did that come about? Um, probably not too long into the like whole idea of what we were doing because uh, Metal Shark Bro kind of evolved over the phone very quickly uh, in a, in a five hour stretch, uh, five ten hour stretch of of a drive, uh, Bobby's drive home from a comic con. So um, I think. It was just us being ridiculous, and the more ridiculous we got, the funnier the story got. Um, and for the Ninja Nun part, I believe um, we were like, "Well, he needs to like have like I don't want to say like um, antagonists per se, because they're not really antagonists to him uh, as they are in the in the book. If you read the book, they're like kind of like a favor from mm-hmm. the, the bishop to uh, to Doctor Satan, if you will." Um, so it's, it's kind of, it kind of came out of, um, our, neither of us are 
like super religious or were were raised in a super religious way. So um, I'm a reformed Catholic. My, I was raised Catholic. So I, I thought nuns being ninjas attacking a giant shark dude would look cool on a page. <laughs> I think that's where that came from. And that, and that they do. <laughs> and we kind of had the idea that there's the devil involved, right? So it would make sense to have the antithesis of the devil, which would be the church. So the church would know of, you know, something like this, this idea. When I, when we were coming up with the idea for the ninja nuns and like the whole Bishop scene, I was just really thinking about um, Mary Tyler Moore's boss on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, oh, wow. What's his name? Uh, uh, his Ed, Ed, Ed Asner, but I'm trying to think of uh, Lou, Lou Grant. Okay. Like when I, yeah. when I was kind of picturing that scene, it was kind of like Lou Grant, like he's sitting in his office and somebody comes in, he's like, oh no, like, you know, the end times are upon us basically. And that's the scene where we introduced the ninja nuns, you know, and that's where we invented the fake Bible and the dinosaurs and all that stuff. Um, but it was just kind of, if you have Satan involved, you need the church. It just kind of made sense to me, good and evil, if you will. So uh, the church has to fight these, this, this creature somehow. So we invented ninja nuns and, and we didn't even really invent it. We just put it in the story. Like the idea of, you know, fighting nuns is, is an old exploitation film idea that's been around since like the seventies. So we just kind of, you know, uh, gentrified it for our book and here we are, you know, yeah, we, we repurposed that. Yeah. And, and, and it's weird because we have two different views on everything. He sees Ed Asner where I saw Mel Brooks uh, being the, and, and, and we made it the Catholic church because it's like, the oldest organized religion, I would say, and, and places where some uh, other elements of Christianity kind of branch off from. So we just decided that it would just be to make it simple. It's the Catholic Church, and people people have asked other questions about that, like do other like the, the do other religions have their own fighting forces? And I believe I believe somebody asked that to us at Heroes a year or two ago, and I think the answer was. Well, yeah, I, I guess like that was, I think that was the, that's how we answered that. Cause we never really that contemplated would, it before, you know, that would be fun to see. And, and I, I also wanted to ask, when was the first time you guys saw the designs from uh, your artist, Walter Osley? Did, did he do a, a, like a design sketch or did, did you see it for the first time in the actual page? Um, I think we saw a design that we really liked. And Walter is just such a talented dude. There would be no Metal Shark Bro in its current form without Walter. Um, just the, his vision and his ideas and his designs are so strong and so much fun that when he saw it, it was like, oh, wow, this is cool. Um, so we just kind of went with it from there, you know? Like we had an idea of what we wanted it to look like. We, we expressed that to Walter as kind of best we could. Um, and he just kind of took the ball and ran with it as he always kind of does with things, you know? And in the, yeah. in the book, I think there's some of his first sketches are in there. Like there's a metal shark bro with a tail. I think that's one of the first ones that he sent over to us that he doodled. It says like a pen doodle while he's on the phone. I think that's the first time that we got an idea of what Walter was going to do. And it was like, yeah, um, <laughs> both of us were both kind of like, yeah, this is kind of the direction we wanted to go. Um, because we had another uh, artist attached to it before Walter was uh, was attached to it. And it was a very different vibe. So mm -hmm. Walter came in with all these really strong ideas and designs and had ideas of his own. And, and um, he agreed to do it, which is shocking. Yeah, which is which is which is also great. Uh, he, he came in and just was like, 
I think this should look more like this. And I have these ideas for this. And can we do this? And like, we're open to like anything you want to do. And I'm like, dude, you're a co-creator. And then that's when he went, I'm a co-creator. And I was like, yeah, that's how we do things. Like Bob and I don't, are not going to sit here and tell you that you can't do what you want. Do whatever you want to with it and then come back to us. And if it's, if it's like completely wrong, that's the only time we'll, we'll usually say anything, but like most of the time we're going to, we're ready to roll with what you, what you put out. So. And, and it just kind of goes, and it goes back to the idea of working in a team. Basically it's, it's, I think if you're looking at comics as a creator and you're looking at you are the be all end all of ideas, then you're doing it wrong because everyone you're involved with, whether it's an artist, a letterer, you know, the colorist, they're going to have their ideas and their opinions too. And if you just shut them off completely, then you're not reaching the full potential of the material. Right. Right. If that makes sense, you know, like it's good to have, but this is me- this is who Metal Shark Bro is. This is who my character is. That's fine to be kind of staunch on, but as for the rest of it, it's you're going to lose a lot because when you're dealing with creatives, they want to be creative as well. They just don't want to be like art monkeys who just draw and then turn in pages. And if you can get them involved on a on a deeper level then you're, it's best for your project. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree there. And uh, speaking of like the process and collaborative aspects of comics, wh- what is your favorite part of the comics making process? I love getting pages in my email. It's like Christmas morning. It's still wonderful just to see them show up magically in mailboxes and you're just like, wow, look at this. This is so real now. You know, like, I know that sounds really dumb and I've been doing this for a really long time, but every time I get new pages on a project we're working on, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And I think that's why I'm not an editor because I still have the like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I don't look at them like critically. I'm just excited that they're real. So (laughs) it's still getting pages for me, man. That's still the most fun. But yeah, yeah. but Kevin, what about you? I would say designs, designs. When we first get the designs on the first part of the book, that's when I'm like, oh, this is going to be a thing. This is cool. Like, look at this. I love things. I love things. So look at this. Or like when we get a cool concept, a piece of concept art from someone or uh, a cool, a cool pinup, even, even like they're like, oh, this is what I was imagining for this. And then we see it and we're like, My wildest fantasies. See, because that's, that's, that's the thing too, man. Like coming up with the idea is the fun part. Like coming up with the, this is the idea that I have. Oh, that's really great. What if we do this? What if we do that? What if we do that? That's the fun and easy part. Like the, mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts is when you're actually sitting down there and you're just grinding, you know, when you're just grinding out page after page. And sometimes it really does feel like you're grinded line after line of dialogue. And, and normally it's the first five page. You're like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. The next 10 are like, oh my God, this is just complete horse shit and then your next four are like i just got to finish it and that's the process (laughs) i mean that's the process i think for everybody you know it's like this is the best idea in the whole wide world oh my god i'm gonna make the best comic ever to oh my god this is horse shit how can why would anyone allow me to do this and then i'm just it's done that's it i'm done with it you know (laughs) yeah so like actually seeing the pages come in is is always fun for me because then you know it's like i said it's like a real thing you know for me, it's very similar, but for me, it's the thumbnails. I love thumbnails because that's the first time it becomes, you know, quote unquote real. Mm-hmm. And 
and and you can get a lot of thumbnails quickly um, versus you know pages take a lot longer, and so that is when you really know okay this thing is coming alive and this thing is going to work. Sometimes it doesn't, so yeah. that happens too. Uh, but that's great too because you can sort of nip it in the bud before it goes too far. Yeah, you just bail. That's all, you know. <laughs> just move on to the next thing. And every uh, every writer uh, worth their salt has hundreds of ideas. Like you have things that are just like nibbles or kernels of an idea, little pieces. So you just keep going, you know. So if something doesn't work out, don't sweat it too much. You'll you have another idea you can work on. And, and we have like an idea pile is what we have is, is we throw something back in the idea pile. If it's not, if it's not fully cooked, that's a, I guess that's a, a, a term pile of ideas and we just throw it back in and, and wait for that idea to like cook a little more between the two of us. And, and we might come back to it later. Cause I can think of at least five right now that are sitting, mm-hmm. sitting over there. Uh, and sometimes we combine some of those ideas and make something new out of them too. So um, a lot of times, like just because it's not working out, that idea is not what's speaking to you, right or wise, at the moment. It doesn't mean you have to work on it. Throw it back in the in your idea, quote unquote, pile, and let it simmer for a while in your in the back of your brain, and do something else that's speaking to you more right then. It's true. Cool idea piles. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, uh, Bob went first last time, so let me hit you with this one first. All right. What is your least least favorite part of the comics making process? Who, um, probably it would probably be like figuring out when something's going to be released through Diamond, uh, especially now with COVID, because uh, we we thought it was going to be one time and then it was another. So like the 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 uncertainty that comes with these uh, these unprecedented times, I would say, is, is my least favorite right now. Um, so yeah, oh yeah, that's completely understandable. How about how about you, Bob? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I guess the least favorite part for me is pitching. Oh, yeah. Pitching sucks because it's a completely different style of writing. You can hammer out this wonderful script and have these wonderful characters that have different voices and motivations. And and you have these beautiful pages of comics that look wonderful. And then you have to write like a sales document. And you're just like, how the hell does this work? How do I do this? You know, you got to turn on like your salesperson brain. And there's a reason why I'm not a salesperson because I kind of suck at it. I sold (laughs) I sold insurance for like four months poorly after I got canned for my radio gig, and that's hard work, you know. So for me, it's just pitching. I hate it. I hate it more than anything. I'm gonna agree with that too because that's (laughs) because I forgot about that till he mentioned it. Uh, It sucks. Pitching is hard for us. If they let us pitch in person, I think we could get a lot more stuff picked up. We're very animated. And uh, oh wow, the enthusiasm! Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm. We're very excited about what we're trying to do, Uh, and and trying to make that come through on a page is is not the easiest thing for either of us. So um, whenever we've had to write a pitch, because we're which is odd because we're writers or we fancy ourselves as writers, but it's just just the idea of writing pitch documents. It's a whole other side of your brain. That you know that I don't really tap into all that much, you know. Like, like when they're like, "Explain your story of Metal Shark, bro." It's it was hard for us to do at first um, because we knew we knew what the story was and what we were trying to do with the story. But when when someone was like, "Explain what this is," uh, a, sh- a guy gets eaten by a shark. Uh, the guy sold his soul to Satan, and the shark now is going to work for Satan. For the, and it just doesn't come off well. I also but, think yeah. there's, there's also a confidence too that I think 
that people who pitch well kind of have. And I think because Kevin and I look at pitching as like this torturous hellscape of, of an existence that you have to go into every once in a while that uh, we, we don't, we don't, we're not comfortable doing it. I think if we had more success pitching, I think we would be more comfortable with it, but pitching is different things to everybody. I saw a Twitter feed recently, like a Twitter stream. Somebody was like, Hey, I'm trying to pitch something. I need some advice on pitching. How do you do it? And every piece of advice was different. You know, it was, well, you need a one page document that tells you everything, what it is and how it's going to be. And then somebody else responded, well, I have this beautiful 12 page Google slideshow that I like to pitch with where you break it down by your log line and your pick. And it's like, which one's right here, man? Like, what are we doing? Is it one page and you got to get in, get out because an editor is not going to look through this? Or is it, you know, a 12 page magnum opus of beautiful, mixtures of words and imagery that you put together in this beautiful package that you've hired a graphic designer to work on. And yeah, like where, where are we? Where, how do you, how does this work? You know what I'm saying? So I think it's some aspect of pitching blind makes things difficult. I think, you know, when you're pitching directly to an editor that you already have a relationship with, I think that makes the process easier. So it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, man, I don't know. Pitching just sucks, obviously. (laughs) I hear you there. I hear you there. My least favorite is reaching out to other creators asking to get a quote. That's, that's Oh, that's easy that. though. I mean, there are writers and, and people that they, that's all they've ever wanted to do. Kevin, how excited were you when you got for, pulled for your first pull quote? Uh, I was super excited. Yeah. Yeah. So it was weird. Um, so I, I would say that's that, that just ask uh, to help you with your problem because most creators want to do it. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to do it, but I was surprised that I was asked. Um, and I've been asked a couple times, so it's kind of weird um, because it was like two or three. Um, and th- only one of them I've seen used, but um, but but I don't mind. Like, I, I'll definitely look over yeah, if I haven't read it, you know. Creators want to do pull quotes because it it strokes their own ego at the same time. Interesting. Like that's, yeah, that's what you have to really look at it because Milton, if you're coming to me for a pull quote, you're thinking to yourself, "All right, I know Bob's name carries some weight in comics, um, so I'm going to get him to say something nice about my book because he has an audience. So his audience will see my book and go, oh man, if Bob likes it, then I know I like it.' Like every writer in the whole wide world wants to do that because that means like, Oh, I'm hot shit. You know what I'm saying? People are (laughs) are coming to me because they want to know what's cool. You know, they want to, I mean, yeah, man, that's easy. That's the easy stuff right there. I didn't think about it the way that Bob's thinking about it. I thought about it. like, I was like me, are you sure this is, you didn't send the email to the wrong person? No, Uh, that's how it is, dude. Everybody, every writer wants to do a pull quote because like, yep, I'm hot. They know I'm hot. I'm hot, yo. Like it's it's all bullshit. Well, well, you you guys are both going to be getting emails from me after this uh, podcast anyway. But I, th- what I thought was going to be my least favorite, I I thought I was going to hate calling retailers, um, and I'm only doing this for the first time for my first published book, and I'm actually finding that experience pretty fun. Yeah, and, yeah, and retailers actually turn out to be pretty awesome people. Retailers are the best, dude. They're like best. Kevin, that's one of our favorite parts of it because. If you can get 
I don't think what the what the brawl. I'm talking entirely too much, Kevin. You can stop me at any time. You're good. What, <laughs> what happens is the retailers and the people who work at the shop. They are the actual comic purchasing audience. Okay, mm-hmm. they are the people that you need to win over and to get on your side. Because if you have a retailer that believes in your book, they will push that book onto their clientele. The shop I go to is a shop called Arcadian Comics in Newport, Kentucky. It's right across the river here in Cincinnati, okay? That Mm -hmm. dude, my dude Steve, loves Boom. He is always telling me how great Boom is. You got to read this. You got to read that. You got to read this. He sells, he used to sell more copies of Coda than of Batman. And the reason (laughs) why, and the reason why is because he pushes those books. If you can get a retailer on your side to believe in your book, then you're good to go, you know, and you're, and that's who you want to buy the books is the retailers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one, one of the strengths uh, of the many strengths, but uh, one of the, the big strengths of the metal shark bro series is it's, it's sense of humor. And I, I wanted to ask you a few questions about humor and comics. And just, first of all, why are comics so darn serious these days? They used to be called funny books. And and you guys have a book that's such a breath of fresh air compared to the rest of what's being out there these days. Um, why is that the case? Are we just going through some sort of cycle? or? Um, I don't know if we're going through some sort of cycle, but we uh, remember, Bobby and I remember the times when comics were just fun. Like, you could read a Spider-Man comic and one issue he's doing one thing and the next issue he's doing something completely different. Um, but it was fun, no matter what. Like, um, And I think some part of the comics industry has forgotten that it's fun uh, and you should be having fun. So one of the things that we try and do is we'll do – we're doing, like, a fun book with Metal Shark Pro, but I would say Chase the Moon is, is more serious. It's still fun, but in a different way. Um, so we try and keep everything sort of, sort of fun at its core. Um, so for us anyway, I I can't answer for comics in general. Um, fun has always been an intrinsic part of what comics are. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's fun with funny or fun just in concept and spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that we've tried to keep, um, constant in, in any project we do is that everyone's having a, a blast. So we're having a blast writing it. We're having fun writing these pages for for specifically, you know, said artist that's on the book. And the artist is having fun drawing the pages. Um, Chaz is having fun editing the pages if, if he's editing the book at the time. So we've just tried to keep everything sort of fun so that comes across uh, in the finished product of whatever it is we're going to do. Bob? I think, I think um, there are s- funny books out there. There are books that are having a good time. There are writers out there that I think that are having Kyle Starks. Your man with Kyle, Starks. Kyle Starks being one of them. I think yeah. Kyle has a really great voice and he's very yeah. funny and he writes a lot of funny books. I think a guy like Ryan Farrier is also uh, pretty funny and having a good time writing his funny books. Aubrey Simpsons, he's doing Yeah, funny. Aubrey is also another one um, who's doing some some funny stuff. But I think like to be honest with you man, I think there there's not a lot of them because the comic book kind of machine doesn't see them as profitable. That's why you don't see a lot of Westerns from the big five being 
you know, Marvel, DC, IDW, Dark Horse. Um, I know I'm forgetting one, but image. that's why you, image. image. That's why you don't see a lot of westerns because westerns have this reputation of not selling. That's why you don't see a lot of you know kind of funny books, if you will, because they have this reputation of not selling. At the end of the day, these corporations are trying to make money, and I guess in their head, they're kind of engraved in the idea that only superhero books make money. And I think with books like ours, with books like Kyle Starks, with the whole kind of scholastic movement of the shift of comics kind of leaving serious superhero style stuff and kind of becoming more all encompassing of the genre. I think you'll have, you'll see a change in the marketplace if that makes sense, because companies can realize they can make money, not doing the same old, same old. Damn, that was a really, yeah. that was a really good. Answer, yeah. by the way. That was really I'm deep. Gonna, that was I'm really going to pat my, well, I mean, it's true though, dude. I mean, these that are all, good. they're just, they're just trying to make money. That's why you don't, you know, that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And that's why when you can go to a place like Kickstarter where Metal Shark Bro kind of earned its stripes and its financing and found its audience, you can go to Kickstarter and see all kinds of books because they're taking, they're skipping that publisher middleman and just taking their books right to the audience. And you can see that a lot of these books have an audience. So I think that's why Kickstarter is pretty wonderful because you're kind of putting you're putting your idea on display. You're putting your 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 thoughts and and, and your desires for comics on display, and you're letting the audience decide as opposed to some um, you know to some some editor somewhere in in a in a in a, in a, in a corporate in a smoke filled in a smoke filled room with a with I don't a, think they do that anymore with a desk on. Yeah, I guess it would be more vape smoke now, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. It's like that's why Kickstarter's pretty wonderful. So you know, I advise you to go to Kickstarter right now and back Ninja Nuns Bad Habits Die Hard, baby. That was a nice segue. That was a nice. <laughs> very good. Very good. I, I want to throw a huge compliment your ways and, and give me a moment to, to give the framework here because uh, you guys are super humble and, and uh, have, have not, such a care. We're not humble have a care. All. <laughs> It's all, it's all so, bullshit. So um, in comics writing, there's, um, there's a certain type of writer who, who gets acclaimed for, for bravery. And yes, the all of those... Uh, platitudes are, are definitely earned platitudes but i i if think i think i think uh, i think Tony writing, Giovanni. <laughs> i think writing humor is actually a certain kind of bravery in and of itself because unlike the other parts of the comic when, when i'm writing a comic uh, for example I, I think I can sort of weasel my, my way out of a criticism of just about anything in the book because I can say, oh, well, this this particular story structure element is due to other factors. This particular compression of the idea is due to other factors. And I can always sort of have some sort of large defense of, of an idea that could be thrown at. But I feel exposed anytime there's humor because – your joke is it's just gonna it's just out there. It's either gonna work or it's not. And I think I wanted to ask you guys about that in general. Like you guys have a conversational uh, tone, but even from what you described earlier, a lot of it you know goes back and forth via email. So when you write a joke, there's no immediate feedback audience uh, for you. And when you're doing that, I think it takes uh, it, it takes a certain amount of writing bravery to just stick with it and, and throw it out there and 
and live and die on on how it goes. So well, well, I appreciate you guys putting the effort there. The we, the weird part about that is if you look on the page of Metal Shark Bro or Metal Shark Bro Two, um, there's a joke after a joke after a joke. So if one doesn't land, because we're not there to see if the joke lands in person when we're writing humor in the comic, um, if if the joke doesn't land, there's another another one succinctly like after that joke. So the first one you might miss or the second one you might miss, but you're going to catch one of the jokes on the page. Yeah. Look at it like playing baseball, man. You hit 33%. You're a hall of famer, you know? Yeah. And it's just, and I mean, I think that there is an audience for it because it's not like I'll chase my wife around and tell her some ideas that I have for jokes and books. Um, Kevin looks at the script (laughs) and he has ideas that he has for jokes Chaz has his ideas. Walter has his ideas. So like everybody's kind of reading the script. So you're kind of getting a very small sample size of, Hey, does that work? Hey, does this work? Hey, does that work? Um, so there, there is a sense of bravery to it, but I think once you kind of find your voice, like we did, uh, with metal shark, bro, it's just very easy to fall into. Like, you know, there's a lot of puns, um, uh, I think we took some risks with metal shark, bro, too, with some of the jokes, um, some of them are my favorite jokes that we've written, you know, be it the law offices of what McConnell, um, oh, yeah. McConnell, uh, Satan and Lindsey Graham. Like that's the name of Satan's law office. Like that's a political joke that might fly under the radar, but I was very proud of that. Um, there was also the idea of like just stupid things. Like when, like, Satan uh, tells, when Satan tells metal shark bro, he needs beard oil because his beard's going to get dry. Like that's not the best joke in the whole wide world, but it's just like, Oh, that's cool. Like sometimes you're just looking for like, huh, that's clever or oh, okay. I get it. And then puns, just puns, puns, puns. And also like some of them are visual jokes. Like if you look at, uh, Ira during the scene of metal shark bro two, where, where he's captured, um, he's wearing Cheech's beanie from Cheech and Chong, um, up in smoke where he's got the orange beanie on. So, it's like a visual joke that if you've seen up in smoke and you know that like, and we're, and we're implying that Ira is high on marijuana, then it, it, it's it, it like such a square, but yeah, no, it's just, you, you might as well try all your jokes, man. Try your Simpson sign gag, you know, try your, try your kind of quick witted back and forth, you know, um, you know, quick snappy dialogue joke, try your, you know, your highbrow kind of Woody Allen style reference joke that people might not get, you know, like just try it, like throw them all out there and see what sticks, you know, and, and that's what editors are for. That's what your, that's what your, your, your significant others for. That's what, who, you know, whoever you, whoever you let read your scripts before they hit, they hit the page, let them read it and see if it works. And sometimes Chaz's note isn't even a note. It's a, I laughed out loud at this. He'll like, he'll put that in the Mm -hmm. script. Like, or sometimes Chaz's, Chaz's favorite note is, I know you got something better in you. So you just kind of push the envelope further, you know, so you just keep trying. You'll get it, you know. But, but we know when we nailed it when he says, I laughed really yeah. hard. At and then there are some people like, you know, Matt Fraction is great at writing jokes and humor. You know, Kyle Stark, again, is also great at writing jokes and humor. And sometimes you just throw in like a motherfucker and that works too, you know? <laughs> like just throw in that word and people go, oh, that's funny, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and it just, you just kind of go from there, you know? So um, you guys might not be able to answer this question, but I'll throw it out there anyway. If uh, if there was a uh, Metal Shark Bro adaptation and we were fantasy casting the role of Metal Shark Bro, 
Who, who would who would you want to play the character? We're gonna have this two different hot, answers on this. This, this is a, a hot take. Topic. This is a hot. It's, it's, I'm not sure that you're gonna like. Uh, well, the, the audience might not like our answers because they're different. They're different, right, Bobby? Yeah. Well, Kevin, who do you want? I think Keanu Reeves would make a great Metal Shark, bro. Bobby, I think it's. On the, I think it's too obvious. It's too it's on too the nose for me. You know, like Metal Shark, bro, being Keanu Reeves is just too. It's, it's fucking amazing much. is what it is. And it's too much. <laughs> fucking amazing it's, it's, is what it is. It's too, it's too on the nose for me. Uh, Metal Shark Bro is kind of the hardest one for me to think about. Yes, same. Uh, Ira, Ira, we had uh, two different voices in our head, uh, but we had the kind of the same voice. We both kind of saw it as... Um, Patrick as Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart, yeah. So when we were writing Ira, it was really easy to come across with jokes because that's whose voice that we heard for coming out of Ira. Um and for Satan, I think we had different ideas, but like um, overall, I can imagine Satan as like David Duchovny. You know, like he'd be a great. He'd be oh great wow! Satan. Okay, yeah, he'd be a great. That Satan. would be great. Yeah, he'd be a great Satan because like he could be like, and remember your beard oil. Like, like if you think of him <laughs> on Californication, and then you mix that with um, Fox Mulder, you get Satan. So like, there it is. So um, he would be great for that. So it it just depended on what we were doing, and like if it was live action versus a cartoon we would prefer a cartoon i think uh oh, i think yeah, that's, yeah, where, yeah. that's where do, we're decided so much more with it we, we could do more with a cartoon and that's what we, we thought about um but uh, casting wise for like the main characters uh metal shark bro is where the the most um divisiveness is between them. yeah so and so bob do you have a, a counter when I first started thinking about it like I kind of thought about like Tom Holland the Spider-Man kid I thought he would be. Oh good. wow! Okay. Um, I even thought like um, who was another one that we thought about, Kevin? Uh, but uh, like Clark, Clark, what's his name? Clark Duncan, uh, the guy from Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, with the kid with the glasses. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was on The Office. He played Clark on The Office. I forget his last name. Um, Clark Duke. Clark Duke is his That's name. Clark Duke. Uh, he's kind of a, a lesser known. Dude, but he's very talented. I used to love him on The Office. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's just for us, it's just kind of if somebody wants to make a cartoon out of this, do it. That'd be awesome. But we just want to sell more comics. You know, we don't yeah. really think too much about it. Um, now, if they do make a cartoon, we'd be we'd be super happy with that because then we could wait and make more comics. So yeah, that's yeah. that's the truth of the matter is not that we're looking for that. And and if it happens, that's super great. We're, we'd be super excited. But um for the most part, when people ask us, uh, what would you do if they did this on Netflix? I was like, we'd be really happy, but um, hopefully they'd include us in some way so we could uh, make money off of off of that in some, in, some, in some form or fashion, like producing or being in the writer's room with them to make sure it doesn't go too off keel. Um, but other than that, um, in, in that respect, we'd just be real, really happy because we could make more comics. Um that's cool. That's cool. So uh, a quick one for you guys. Uh, keying off the, the metal in Metal Shark Bro, what is the best metal guitar riff of all time? Oh, my gosh. Uh, ooh, that's, a, that's a tough question, though. You know, I would have to say probably for me it's – and now it's dark from Anthrax. I love I love State of Euphoria. I was a kid when when that album came out. I listened to the I listened to my tape until it broke. 
So I don't know if any of you have any tapes that you listen to until they broke, but like <laughs> you let your tape rock till your tape popped. That's I did that. I did that with uh, State of Euphoria. I did it with Master of Puppets. Um, I did it with Rust in Peace. Uh, I used to listen to all that stuff. <laughs> like Megadeth. Megadeth was like it was crazy when my friend gave me a Megadeth tape because lots of death. Megadeth was great, man. Like, no, I'm not disagreeing. I just love their name, Megadeth. I think it's Hook, hilarious. Hook and Mouth. Hook and Mouth was the first Megadeth song I'd ever heard. That, that he's like, you got to hear the song, and I heard it, and he's like, you know, you elect them, you eject them, land of the free and the home of the brave. <laughs> I love that track. I love that track. I do too. Um, so it's it was the first song I'd ever heard from them. So um, a lot of those tapes I did that too, but I would have to say probably you know Anthrax was the first metal band I gravitated to and probably for the same reason that it sticks with us today they were fun like if you look at Megadeth they're kind of serious you look at Metallica they're kind of serious um you look at Slayer they're kind of serious the big four I grew up with um Anthrax were wearing jams and doing songs about rap so I was like wow these guys are having a lot of fun and they're reading comics too so like all right these guys these guys get it you know Bob, do you have an answer? Probably Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. Okay. Because I'm more of a Zeppelin guy. Like, I don't really, I never really listened to a ton of metal growing up. But, like, uh, Metal Shark Bro itself is kind of inspired by uh, Led Zeppelin with the whole, like, Goat Wizard thing. That was, we basically just stole that right from the film Song Remains the Same. Because if you've ever, have you ever seen Song Remains the Same? I have not. It's pretty great. Like Led Zeppelin is at the height of their rock and roll powers and they can kind of do whatever they want to do. So they released this like two hour concert video of them in Madison Square Garden in like 1974 and all their like superpower and glory. Uh, but then they also decide to shoot like little vignettes, like little films. So each member of Led Zeppelin has a film that they kind of produced and created and so they all kind of take place in different times where John Bonham, who is the drummer of Led Zeppelin, is very much kind of based in reality. And it's just him doing like cool shit like milking a cow and driving like a <laughs> driving a funny car and drinking a pint and playing pool at a pub. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Jimmy Page is climbing a mountain and then gets to the top of the mountain and like sees this wizard. And the wizard like spins his magic wand and Jimmy Page goes from being young Jimmy Page to old man Jimmy Page to a baby who floats off into space. It's fucking weird, but it's really, oh, wow. it's really great. Um, so I would, I, anything Led Zeppelin, because that's my jam. I mean, I would, say Heartbra- I would say probably Heartbreaker, or like Black Dog, because those were kind of the first Zeppelin songs I remember hearing, like Heartbreaker, that, that, that riff in Heartbreaker is so kind of strong and good. Um, bow, now, 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 now. It's just good. It's a good riff. It's a good rock and roll riff. So like we, that's where he came from on it. I came from growing up on um, like, like this 80s thrash. So it was a lot of Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth and Slayer in my ears when I was, when I was a young lad. Cool. Cool. So um, I have a final question. That's a standard question for the podcast uh, that I want to ask both of you. But before I get to that, I have to, I have to do something. Um, you guys were super kind and generous enough to have me on your podcast, uh, quite a, quite a ways ago, uh, in, uh, I think it was October of last year. And we're and, sure you'll be back. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, me and Bob, we got off on a little bit of a baseball tangent 
And uh, I think it was during the World Series or during the playoffs. And in the intervening months uh, since then, uh, it has come to knowledge that uh, my team, the Houston Astros, uh, turned out to be a bunch of cheaters. Cheaters. So, uh, so uh, on, on behalf of the city of Houston, to, to Bob, who is a real baseball fan with uh, that supports a team that does not cheat, here is my heartfelt apology. Uh, we are cheaters. It sucks. <laughs> uh, I will say this, though. I'm fine with your cheating. Baseball is kind of built on the idea of cheating. And you kept the Los Angeles Dodgers from winning a World Series, which is fine by me because I hate the Los Angeles Dodgers. Probably second most in Major League Baseball behind the New York Yankees, so I'm fine with it. Okay, that's great yeah, to hear. That's yeah, great to like, hear. I, f- I mean, is Jose Altuve going to get – should he get beamed every time he comes to bat? Oh, yeah, sure. Like, would I be fine with that? Yeah, sure, plunk him as much as you want. Was I excited when I saw Joe Kelly kind of do his thing to your boys? Yeah, I was super excited about it. Like, I think it's great. If you're going to cheat, you also got to get punished for it. And the only <laughs> way to really punish him for it is by, like, eating fastballs in the back between your numbers. But you kept the Dodgers from winning a World Series, which is great. <laughs> hot times, oh hot times, hot times, Milton Lawson. When you come on a podcast, and the but two the other is, people on the podcast lost. talk about baseball, yeah, but hot times. You you cheated, but you still nobody took your World Series away. So who cares? At the end of the day, you still got to be the World Series champion. You know what I'm saying? Like no one came in and was like, no, we got to take that trophy from you and you guys are no longer World Series champions. You still can say like, yeah, I'm a Houston Astro fan and we won the World Series in 2018. Was it 18? It was 17. Whatever. I, whatever. I, I don't know if you I don't know still, if I can, you still <laughs> won. You still won the World Series. I haven't been able to say that since 1986. And the Mets have been to two World Series and humiliated themselves in both, you know? So at least you won. So who cares? <laughs> It's baseball. Cool. Everybody cheats. Well, I, I will take this as an official absolution from a uh, uh, from a pope or a bishop uh, level baseball fan. So, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, um, last question for you guys: uh, What's on your radar these days? What are you reading and watching that you that you can recommend? Ooh. Uh, I just finished, um, I, this feels like a Kyle Starks appreciation podcast, but I just finished, he kickstarted a book called old head that I just finished that I really enjoyed. Um, I've been watching my wife and I had just started watching lower decks, the new star Trek cartoon on CBS all access, which is fun. It's not like, ha ha ha. I'm rolling around on the fun on the floor, laughing funny. But the fact that it exists is enough for me because star Trek has always been kind of seen so serious and, and very hoity toity. The fact there's like, there's this kind of weird and quirky star Trek cartoon that exists now. Um, that's official. Canon is pretty cool. And I'm just happy that we're getting more star Trek things. Um, as far as books go, I just finished reading the rattler by, um, our boy, our friend Jason McNamara and, oh, Greg, yes. and Greg Hinkle. And it's a great kind of like crime book with like, we, like weird overtones. It's, it's a really good book that he did. And he put out through image. Um, and um, show wise, I started the second season of umbrella Academy, but I have not got to the second episode yet. So I started the first season, the second season, but did not get to the second episode. 
you know what else I forgot that I'm reading is I'm actually not reading it, but I'm listening to um, the Odyssey by Homer on my because uh, I got that that app. What is it? The Overdrive app, and I've been listening to the Odyssey because Kevin and I are in the process of um, of plotting out like a like an epic poem. So I'm Ooh. yeah. So I'm listening. So I'm listening. I'm listening to the Odyssey. That's fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being our debut episode. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us, Milton. You can't see me right now, but I'm totally giving you a thumbs up. And one last time, tell us where where we can find info on the Ninja Nuns campaign. So just go to just go to Kickstarter.com and search Ninja Nuns. It's right there for you. You can't miss it. You can also go to our individual socials, which is mine is bfrance19. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, and you'll see it. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see it. And my Twitter is at Kevin underscore Cuff, C-U-F-F-E. The E is silent right. like a ninja. No. Perfect. All right, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Thank you.